Well, hello again, everyone. I'm Reverend Carla, and welcome to Spirituality Matters. We're so honored to be on this journey with you, so let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are, and just be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies, and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Now, I'm going to pause here for a minute uh, before we get started because I'm here in our quote studio and I'm here with our marketing specialist, Mackenzie. And it's important to acknowledge some milestones. And this might not seem significant to you, but it is to us. And we want to just pause for gratitude because today we enter double digits for our podcast. This is episode 10. And I just want to tell you, first of all, how much we appreciate you, the followers, as you are here as this ministry grows and you're following us on the various platforms, we have truly enjoyed adding this podcast to our platform. And none of it happens without Mackenzie. So even though she might be voiceless during this time, uh, she's the reason that everything is running so smoothly. So thank you, Mackenzie, and congratulations for getting us going into this point. So, okay, let's get started. Today's podcast is titled A Name by No Other Name. So for this week, I'll be focusing on the name of God and why some people won't or they just can't say it. Now, I don't plan to go very much into a historical or a scholarly perspective, but we are going to take a quick detour and but won't say they're long, but long enough to just give it that perspective, because if I went too long, this could literally be like a 30 part series, and I'm not quite ready to add that kind of depth uh, to this podcast. There's some very interesting aspects to the historical context, and there are some wonderful people that you can follow, in particular on TikTok. One of my favorite is at Chosen Family, and I will include that link in our show notes so that you can go find Jeff at at Chosen Family because he just has some wonderful series where he does several videos on very much a historical context for um, the scripture and all things related to that. So, In this quick detour, as I say, um, I also please, 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 I beg you not to come at me because of the lack of depth that I'm going to add here. I'm fully acknowledging that the old, the quote, Old Testament classes that I took in college were, there was a reason that they were uh, multi-level and mini-series because there's just so much information here. Now, if you notice, I do want to say something else here. Uh, Do you notice that I said, quote, Old Testament? Because when we talk about the Holy Bible, we're talking about the Christian Bible, which separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. But what Christians call the Old Testament is actually the Hebrew Bible or the Jewish Bible. It is still very much an active part of what the Jewish religion uses. So it's very sacred. And to them, calling it the Old Testament is actually something that is deemed offensive. Not to all of them, but some of them very much reject the use of Old Testament. So that's why I say that. As someone who honors her Christian faith, but who isn't an ordained interfaith minister, it's important for me to to always acknowledge how religion is showing up in the world and our place in it. There is context around that as well. There is something called replacement theology, and this is the teaching that the church, primarily the Christian church, replaced Israel as the chosen people. So in essence, what what this theology is saying is that Israel is rejected by God, and now the Christian church is the chosen people. 
So this kind of theology very much is is rejected by the uh, Jewish religion as well. So again, we don't have time to spend, we could spend hours talking about these things, but it's very important if you've never thought about some of the words that are used and how that impacts people, this is something that you might want to research. And I will uh, include some links in the show notes so you can go read about replacement theology and what that means as well. So if we're going to talk about God's name, there are some things that we can talk about that are related to scripture. First of all, the Bible actually never says there is only one God. I'm going to pause there because that might be news for some of you, but the Bible does not say there is only one God. What the Bible says is that there is only one God that is worthy of worship. Now, there are several words that reference God with a capital G. There are several words inside scripture that reference that. There's also several several words that reference gods and Lord. All of this can be found in Bible in the Bible, but a lot of times what happens is, is we water down translations. They all just become Lord or God when specifically that Hebrew language or that, those, the, that scripture was actually referencing specific types of gods, not always just the God that was worthy of worship. So one word that is often found in the ancient scripture is Elohim, and that is actually plural. That actually means gods. So it it can mean gods or it can mean spiritual or heavenly beings. And that's used quite often. The way it's been translated into our language is just simply God. So here we go into it now, even a deeper dive into some of this, some of this information. But when you look at most of the Bible translations, most of them translate the word God into some kind of masculine language. So in other words, when you're talking about God, you will then use the pronoun of he. But there are some new um, updated translations where God is referred to as not just a father, but parent. And that actually, most scholars will, will contend that that's actually more in keeping with the original language. So instead of using father or he or some kind of patriarchal language, it's it's including pronouns that invite the feminine in that. So one of those uh, translations occurred in 2003 for the New Testament by a gentleman from one community for Christian exploration. His name is John Henson. And he also created the feminine language around the Holy Spirit. And that's also can be a very common translation as well, where the Holy Spirit is seen as the feminine side of God, the nurturing side. And again, trying to avoid those pronouns altogether so that it raises, it elevates the essence of God out of the physical realm so that we try not to quantify it using language that's really restrictive. We don't have enough words that adequately describe this meaning of God, the sacredness of God, the holiness of God. So this people like John Henson are inviting us to consider how we use God's name so that it it's not marginalized or minimized by the human experience. So here's an example also that I wanted to include regarding um, inclusive language. When you look at the King James Bible, Bible, here's a typical verse that you might see, which would be, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Again, that's pretty ancient kind of um, 
I would say uncomfortable language because it's very hard to get your arms around some of that King James language. But in the new revised standard version that was uh, released in 1989, that verse translated into what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them. So plurals, taking it out of the he, her, she, those him, those kinds of uh, pronouns and inviting the all-inclusive language of just humanity. Now, one of the most popular mystics of Christianity lived in the 14th century, and she was Julian of Norwich, and she became a recluse, but she's also considered one of the most eloquent uh, writers of Christianity. She said, just as God is our father, so God is also our mother. Now this was written in the 14th century and she was given a pretty um, long leash, if you will, as far as what she was allowed to write about. When you consider especially where religion was at that time, it was very much steeped in the patriarchal tradition. This language was allowed to be seen and heard because they respected the connection and the wisdom that was being offered through Julian of Norwich's uh, ministry and her commitment to God. So they said, in other words, they saw this, these writings as valid. She went, she goes on to talk about, quote, our precious mother, Jesus. Now pause and think about that. Our precious mother, Jesus. Then she went on to talk about uh, the Trinity in these terms, our father, Desire, di- desires, our mother operates, and our good Lord, the Holy Ghost, confirms. So she was also showing how the Trinity is actionable, but also very definitive through the through the paternal and the maternal and the nurturing aspects of both of the masculine and the feminine. That's some pretty radical language, even for 14th century, and even for today, where people still will hold on to that very strong patriarchal language around God. The last person that I want to uh, talk about is Saint Anselm, and he was a Archbishop of Canterbury in the 11th century. And he often prayed to Christ, my mother, and called God the Great Mother. So I think this is important for us to realize that this isn't radical, new age, mystical, esoteric language that is credited from what they might call progressive Christianity, even though that's where I certainly align myself more closely with. We're talking about 11th century mystics, 14th century mystics. This stuff was happening a long time ago. It might have been suppressed for different reasons, but now it is here and it is time for us, it, it, it is inviting us into a conversation about who God is. Now, you might be also surprised to know that the Bible also frequently presents God in a feminine image. You can see this in um, Hosea when God is described as a mother. There's a, there's a visual of the mother bear, and I'll include these verses in the show notes, so I'm just going to go through them really quickly, click, quickly here. In Isaiah, God is revealed as a pregnant woman crying out in pain. In Jeremiah, God is equated to the queen of heaven. And in Matthew, we see a visual of mother hen. So this this goes on and on. So I, I just want you to consider how you are using the name of God and what image does that 
portray for you? What do you visualize when you think of God based on your tradition, based on your teachings? And is there room in there to perhaps consider other elements of God? Because it's already deeply rooted in the Christian tradition. You may just not have been exposed to it. One person that I rode, I, I read uh, quite extensively when I first was called out of church was uh, John Shelby Spong. He's a bishop in the Episcopal Church, and he's highly quant- controversial, but there's so much about his research that uh, speaks, speaks loads about where we are within Christianity. And one of the things he says is, and I quote, God is not a being not even a supreme being. A being is something that exists in time and space, but we are trying to describe that which is ultimate, unbound, meaning that such terminology, the category of existence, simply cannot be used. So going back to what I said earlier, there's simply not human words that have been developed to quantify the essence of God. It really comes down to just accepting that God is. And this even gets harder the more we try to figure out how to quantify God. There are actually several theologians now who are proposing that we give up using the name God for a while because it has been so overused in everyday language, but also inside theology, that we have lost the sacredness, the holy of what or who God is and how that energy, that universal love, that Christ consciousness is flowing through us. Now I'm going to close this part. Like I said, this was a very brief detour. I know we've been into this several minutes, but trust me, we could get much deeper into this. Um, I want to close this part with uh, talking about St. Francis of Assisi, who was the patron saint of animals. Now you might know him as someone who is the author of the Make Make Me an Instrument of Your Peace. He actually did not write that. Um, And I I can put some information in the show notes about that. Um, He wrote something though called the Canticle of Creations. And I want to just touch on that for a minute because that language was is also very much in keeping with elevating God out of this limited human language. And I'm just going to go through a couple of the points. This, this poem is very, very long, and I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But he says, Be praised, my Lord, for sister moon and for the stars, for which you have setting, set shining and lovely in the heavens. He goes on to say, Be praised, my Lord, for sister water. Be praised, my Lord, for brother fire. Be praised, my Lord, for sister earth, our mother, who nourishes us and sustains us. And I'm going to stop there because the poem goes on quite a while. And it's lovely. It's a beautiful piece to offer into a contemplative practice if you're looking for ways to connect with creation and understand the sacredness of this whole wonderful world in which that sustains our life here. But what I find beautiful about that that writing is not only that he's shifting the, the power of God and this universal love of God out of the masculine. He's inviting it into the feminine language. He's also very much acknowledging how important the earth is in the, in the essence of our being. So he's inviting us into a kind of earth-based worship that's been hiding right here in Christianity all along. And I'll save that conversation for another time. 
Okay, so we're going to, that was our T-tour now. We're going to move into actually saying the name of God because there are so many religions that will not, that absolutely will not. They'll, they'll put things in like the Almighty, the One Above, or just the name. Or they might spell it out or leave the O out when they're writing it so that they are not performing something that, it's, that they consider disrespectful to the Almighty Being. Now, from a Christian perspective, and I'm talking specifically about a conservative, evangelical perspective that often lends itself to a literal interpretation. So everything in the Bible is as it was written, even ignoring the fact that translations have clearly changed some of the, the, meaning, the meanings of Scripture. So in that type of perspective, it is definitely a fatherly, patriarchal, physically, physical being, and most often that is portrayed as a, a gray-haired man majestically sitting in the clouds, and that's someone that becomes a very active participant in our lives. So when we're praying to that God, we are looking for action towards our lives. We really believe that there's a way that God can manipulate the knobs and change things to fit our prayers, our desires, our needs, our, or soothe our worries. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's, that is a belief. That's sacred for people. So I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong, but it's not something that I adhere to now. It's, it was the way I grew up, but it's not something that I adhere to now. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But that kind of actionable, physical, masculine God is portrayed also in the hymns. It's reflected in the songs that are sang in church. And you see um, that oftentimes in a very much in an aggressive tone, like a, a God as a protector or an avenger or a warrior, which is part of the masculine energy. So in those songs, you'll hear things like king, lord, shield, defender, that, that he is the victor, that, you know, one of my grandmother's favorite songs was Victory in Jesus. And we belted that out at the top of our lungs at her funeral. And it very much solidified her, her journey and the last thing, the last way that we would honor her life. So you'll see a lot of times as well that there's a there's an invoking of the blood uh, as a victor. So whether it's the blood of Jesus or or whether in battle, that is seen as part of the victory life part of the life cycle of the Christian. So that doesn't have a lot of space for feminine energy to arrive. So when you think back about how Hollywood has portrayed. God, there there have been times where it has very much been controversial. And the three thing, times that I'm thinking about, now not so much when Tar Charlton Heston did it through the Ten Commandments. And trust me, that was one of my childhood classics. We watched that every year as a family. And the way the, the directors chose to portray God in, in that movie was by not showing uh, a character on screen, but Charlton Heston, and I believe they used other voices as well, were off screen. And the voice just kind of boomed into the set to create the, the ambiance of this majestic um, being that was belting out his voice towards the earthly inhabitants. And then I believe there's a 
there's a movie called Oh God with John Denver and, um, oh my goodness, George Burns, who was playing God. And so he's a, a cigar-chewing uh, God and that was very much physical in the earth. And so, and that caused co- controversy. There was a lot of people who felt that that was a disrespectful way to portray God, but none as controversial as Octavia Spencer playing God in The Shack. One of the articles I read about this said that, is God really a black curvy woman? Which Octavia Spencer is a beautiful human being. And I was shocked at that, the title of that article, because the the movie in itself, The Shack, is very controversial for some of the Christian in the Christian faith and what that movie was saying as far as first of all showing God as a in human form as a female but also just the concept the theology behind that book but that, that behind that book and that movie so I'm actually very glad that it came to when it came to the screen um the, the screen production of that book that they chose Octavia, I thought, bravo, bravo. That really was a great way to solidify the beliefs that were portrayed in that in that movie. But I did also hear one uh, theologian, well, I read about one theologian saying that God does not have any male body parts and we need to stop thinking about God as such. So that means being able to lose that language. And sometimes it's hard for me. I've been, let's see, eight, nine, ten years now out of church and I will still find myself every once in a while saying he or him. And I try, I'm very mindful not to do that. And I try to do it in a respectful way. So if I'm holding space for for people who are uh, entrenched in a conservative Christian belief, just saying God's name is not offensive. But if I offered it, offered a she or something like that, they would consider that offensive. Okay, like I said, this has all been important for our conversation, but because of the holiness of God's name and why some people don't say it, but there are so many other reasons that people do not say the name of God. And one of those reasons is because of religious trauma. The anger that they have towards God, they simply do not want to have anything to do with God. What that really comes down to is that they are rejecting the visual and the definition of God that is tied to their religion, but they don't know how to divide the two. They don't know how to separate the two. They don't know how to heal from the trauma that invites a loving, an unconditional loving universal God back into their lives. And I certainly understand that. Like I said, about eight years ago, I was called to step out of church. And even though I felt called into this spiritual wilderness, and this is often called a sojourner's path or a spiritual awakening. At the time, it didn't feel that way. At the time, I just felt alone. I felt angry. I felt confusion. And I could not bring myself to say the name of God for that very reason. That anger that I had just felt like something that I was no longer going to give that power anymore, give that name power anymore. But I still felt called to pray. And so when I would, I would replace God's name with the Holy One or the Great Mystery or the Divine or Great Spirit or Holy Spirit. 
and you're gonna love this one. I would say great source or you who are known by so many names, but none capture the wonder, the beauty, the essence of all that you are. Now I had that capitalized here in my notes because I do consider it sacred, but no kidding, that's what I would, that's what I would say for the name of God. So leaving church created this paradox for me over those past eight years where I was always vacillating between this heartache for what I felt like I was losing, but also trying to understand what God had for me and where how God was going to show up in my life and even how I was going to connect to or hear from God. But it wasn't too long after that that I began to hear the call to ministry, which I fully rejected at the beginning. I literally heard it on my prayer bench and I said, I'm going to, I'm not coming back to my prayer bench until you can be more logical. Yeah, I, I said that to God. And I feel like we have that kind of relationship. Um, all of us do, not just me. I'm not special here. Um, one of the things I like to teach people often is that there is nothing that I don't have or that you don't have that God doesn't give each one of us. So yes, we're called to different gifts, but we are all capable of a direct relationship with God. But knowing that my calling to leave church was from God and I trusted once I accepted that call to ministry, I just began to navigate the journey. And through that, I went to, to college and then on to seminary, even though I was have, very much having trouble saying the name of God. But here's where it gets interesting because here I was now five years into this journey of college and seminary and on the afternoon of my ordination we had the afternoon we were to spend in silence and i'm sitting on this grassy field and i i needed something i wanted something to help anchor that space and hold that space well i'm a very much a music very much helps me when i'm going into some kind of contemplative practice or meditation or prayer time and so I put my headphones on and I started looking through my playlist. Now you can imagine that I have a very mm, wide range of playlist because of my interfaith uh, training and experience as well as my Christian training and my heritage. So there were songs in there that I hadn't listened to for years. And that was the first playlist that came up on my app. And I paused and I looked at it and I thought, I wasn't sure if I was ready to hear it. And then I realized that that's exactly what I needed to hear, that I had come full circle to come back to my spiritual roots. Hours before I was to be ordained, that was exactly what I needed. So I sat there for hours and I listened to the old time gospels of my religion. I listened to the modern day contemporary music over and over and the tears just flowed at that moment i cried i raised my hands in joy i wept in with tears and knelt on the ground in gratitude because i realized that the chain that i had around the definition of god had now been released that the god that I had always known this loving God was no longer bound by some of what my old definition was and had always been returning to me, was always there. It was I who needed to heal. And in that moment, 
the spirit just flooded my soul. And once again, I found God in the the kind and loving humans that were not only around me, I was able to look back over my experiences in church and through my, my journey and see all those moments where God had touched me in the kindness of the humans. So in other words, I, re, I no longer was seeing it through the filter of the pain and the betrayal and the deception and the trauma and all the gaslighting. I saw it through the goodness of those people who were there because it very much was there. There were people in every one of those experiences who helped hold that space enough to make me hungry, to keep searching for and listening to God. What I found is that Jesus had never left my side. He had always been there through the entire journey with me. So there I was, fully embracing my religious heritage after spending all this time running away from it. I I had it back. It was mine again. I fell in love with my Christian heritage and embraced my, my newfound inner faith belief because I truly had found God in the world and God had returned to me in my Christian heritage. It was a sacred portal at a very poignant time as my ministry was starting to at that moment just i'm literally minutes before i took my vows so what i also found here this is just my experiences friends i know that everybody's is different if you're holding on to religious trauma i understand what your journey can can how your journey can look different than mine it took me years to navigate mine. Yours might take long, longer or it might just be days. We don't know. What I can say to you is that if you have anger towards God, I want to invite you to consider, is it anger because of a definition or an experience of God through your human experience, not your spiritual experience? There may be an opportunity for some spiritual care through some spiritual counseling, or there may be opportunity for mental therapy, because so many people now, so many psychologists and therapists are now getting trained in what religious trauma is. But if that spiritual hunger is still inside you, and it must be if you've made it this far into my podcast today, then I invite you to consider who is God? How is God showing up in your life? What does it mean? What is the definition of God for you? For me, this is the way I define God. God is genderless and all genders. God is nameless and all names. God is universal, yet God is found within each human. God is constantly moving, yet God is right here in this moment. God is... Once again, our human experience, our human words cannot define God. Have you lost your ability to say the name? Do you reject the entirety of God because of this human experience? Then I just invite you to stay here, beloved. This is where the healing begins. God is waiting because God has never left. And blessed be and amen. Okay, each week, uh, I try to answer a question from one of our followers. And this week, 
The question is, what are your thoughts on divine intervention and circumstances? So I recently answered this. This is a very common question, and I just recently answered this on a TikTok video. So you can find that on my platform over at TikTok. But basically what I said is if you ask this question to 10 different ministers, you are going to get 10 different answers. Once again, here's our platform. There's over 25,000 Christian denominations throughout the world. So you can the reason why there's so many is because we can't get along. We can't agree on what these answers are. Here's my answer. I released the patriarchal patriarchal definition of God, as you just heard me say in this podcast. So I don't see God sitting up in heaven where every once in a while he turns the knobs that manipulates our lives. To me, that God does not care about whether or not your sports team wins. He does not. There, I said it, just he. I caught that. Did you catch that? God does not help you find the perfect parking space. That, my friends, is a shallow spirituality. But on the other side of this, I have witnessed countless miracles. I have been the recipient of those miracles. I've witnessed them in my family and those that I love around me. And I've seen other people's, I've read their stories. So I do believe in this mystical power that is holy enough to transform our lives in some unexplainable way. That is the essence of God. That is the power of the Holy Spirit that ebbs and flows in our lives. And we simply cannot explain all of that away as circumstances. But what we don't know is we just understand so little about this spiritual energy. But I also know that we are we are souls here having a human experience. So I believe in this soul that inhabits our body. But what that means is we are here at this point in in time having a human experience, which means that we are subject to the laws of nature while we're here. So do I believe that miracles happen? Yes, I do. Do I fully understand them? No, I do not. And can, does that help us explain why some people heal from horrific diseases and other people don't? No, I can't explain that. And I personally would steer clear from anyone who tells you that they've got it all figured out, that they know what all of this means, because I don't think it's as clear as that. But here's what I do. I continue to try to pray and learn. I do think that every day we are awakening to a higher level of understanding, a higher level of consciousness. And the, re- the reason why we're doing that is when we start to release some of this restrictive language around God. So this was a perfect question for our theme this week, because that, that restrictive language that was trying to be released hundreds of years ago, friends. Our, the spiritual leaders on whose shoulders we now stand were inviting us to remove God from a masculine definition. It's always been there. And it belongs in this place where we're trying to figure out divine in, in, uh, intervention and circumstances where we are simply never going to be able to define that. At least in this point in time, we have to be okay with that and have peace with it. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you, and I pray that you received something. I know I did, because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now I invite you to go in peace and be at peace. Go in love, and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you. You are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved, just the way you are. And remember, God is. Okay, blessings on your week. I'll see you soon. If you like what you heard today, be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. 
To submit questions to Rev Carla, email us at spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. Follow at Rev Carla on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Check out her blog posts on revcarla.com and go ahead and sign up for email alerts while you're there so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.